Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we share resources by and for adoptive and foster moms. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it, and we're here for you. Good morning, Lisa. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday to you, Melissa. So I have a question for you. How is your little grandbaby doing? Super cute. It's really, really fun to have a baby who you can cuddle and give back. I, I bet it is. I bet it is. Do you find, um, are you enjoying her in ways that are different from how you enjoyed your kids? I am. I, I mean, I know so much more about brain development. I'm so much more confident. I mean, some of the things about brain development are terrifying to know, to know how much influence we can have, <laughs> but they also inform, you know, what we can do and they make me more confident. I mean, I know exactly what she needs, right? And we've had practice. I mean, even though she's our first grandbaby, she's not the first baby to live in our house who we haven't been responsible for. So it's kind <laughs> of like we're getting really good at this. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Well, you're a young grandma, 36. That is one of sort of the sweet parts of our topic today. I interviewed my friend Kristen Berry about her experience of being a young adoptive mom, foster and adoptive mom in her 20s, fostering teens. And I have several friends in the adoption and fostering world who uh, were quite young and they brought in older youth or teens who were not that far apart from them in age. And that's a really different experience from what Russ and I did where we had been parents for 20 years before we entered the adoption and fostering world. So I find it interesting. I find it um, kind of a fun thing to talk about. Maybe fun's not quite the right word, but I mean, it's, it's a different experience. So, so Kristen Berry is the co-founder of Confessions of an Adoptive Parent and the Honestly Adoption podcast together with her husband, Mike Berry, who's also a good friend. She's the author of Born Broken, an Adoption Journey, and they have a new book coming out, I think she said in August, called Honestly Adoption. She has a lot of wonderful things to share with us. It's a really fun conversation. I hope you really enjoy it. Hi, Kristen. Welcome to the Adoption Connection podcast. Hi, Lisa. It's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's fun to get to spend a little time with you. We don't get to see each other as much as I would like, so I appreciate getting to spend a little time this morning with you. I agree, and I even brought coffee, so me too. it's kind me of too. like, yeah, cheers. Yes, <laughs> with our coffee cups, exactly. Yeah, it is really nice. It's nice to see your face. I know our listeners can't see you, but I can, and it makes it much more fun to talk when we can see each other. I agree. So, well, today I wanted to talk with you about sort of a unique little part of the fostering and adopting community where we have young parents taking in, either through foster care or adoption or foster adopt, taking in older youth. And so often these parents have not yet parented children of that age. If they've been parenting for a while, they may still be parenting young children and there may not be much of a gap, a very significant gap between the kids' ages and the foster or adoptive parents' ages. And I've had a number of friends experience this, including Melissa, my co-founder of the Adoption Connection. And so I just thought that would make an interesting conversation. Could you start by just telling us the story of how you 
entered foster care, what you thought you were going to do, what you, what you did, and how these kids came to you? We actually ended up unofficially fostering our first child even before we had any other children. And that was what eventually came to be our oldest daughter, Rachel. She started staying with us when she was 15 years old. She was a part of our youth group. Mike and I were youth pastors for almost 20 years. And so we had just moved to this little town in Indiana. She was a part of the youth group. Um, she was just kind of, if, if you're listening to this, Rachel, I'm love everything about how I met you the first time. We were on a youth trip and uh, I don't like big groups of people and she doesn't like big groups of people. And I think we were both thinking, what did we sign up for? I understand this was my job, but what in the heck was she doing there? Neither one of us wanted to be on this youth trip. <laughs> and we were having kind of a mandatory meet and greet hangout time with all these other teenagers. And she was over in the corner reading a book. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, I wish I would have packed a book. That would have been such a smart idea. And so I walked over and said, hey, what are you reading? And she and I hit it off immediately. And it just, yeah, it just clicked with her. And what we found out later was that her dad had passed away when she was three. Um, and her mom was very, very sick. And um, her mom was um, really just you know, one of the most godly women I've ever met in my life. And so Rachel grew up with a loving mom who cared for her, a loving brother. They have a wonderful relationship to this day, but at the time she just needed, you know, a, a little something. I, I don't even know what to call it. She just started, she uh, lived a couple blocks from our house and she just walked over and then she just kind of stayed. <laughs> so, um, we got to know her mom and got to be kind of the hands and feet of what her mom couldn't do in that time. You know, we were able to teach her to drive. We were able to um, be there to pick her up from school or attend a band concert or have her spend the night and have all of her friends come over and watch Harry Potter Marathon, which was her thing at the time. Bake cookies, make Rice Krispie treats that she just kind of joined and it was great to have her around. And so she was there actually when we adopted our first daughter. And then she was there when we began fostering. Uh, she actually went with me to pick up my son from his foster home when he got placed with us. And so she just has been a part of our story forever. Um, so that's really how we got into, you know, kind of this opposite of what we had intended to do with our family. We always kind of knew we'd be a foster adoptive family. Um, we fully expected to adopt our first daughter. She was an infant. You know, we were 23 and 25, just going on with our life like normal 20-year-old people with a baby, except we always had this teenager with us. Her mom passed away after she, uh, just the same week that she graduated from high school. So then we were the family that moved her into college and helped her f fill out the paperwork and pack stuff into her dorm room. We were the family she came home to at summer break. And then she actually consented to her own adoption at, at the age of 25. So she was actually the last to be adopted, even though she was there first. And then really our next teenagers came to us again through the church. It was a single mom who had um, six children and she was really struggling with her teenagers. And it wasn't that we were parenting experts, it's that we just had some space, I think, and uh, some different perspective. And so her two teenagers came to live with us as well, totally unofficial foster 
type of situation where mom's still the mom, um, but the kids just needed some space and some redirection. Mom needed a breather. So we just love those kids. Um, And then really, once we became foster parents, it wasn't our intention to foster teenagers, even, even so, even though we'd already had at that point, three teenagers in and out of our home. But you know, if you are a foster family, you know how that happens. You're talking with the caseworker one day or the caseworker says, you know, I have a kid who I think might be a really good fit. Or maybe the caseworker calls in desperation. I've got this kid over uh, where we're from. It's either called shelter care or uh, well, it's not important what the name is, but it's closed now anyway. Um, but you know, you have that caseworker call kind of in that moment of desperation. This child's been there too long. They need to be out of there. Is there any way you could take a teenager? And so that's really how, you know, we were already youth pastors. We'd already had teenagers in and out of our home. To say we stumbled into fostering teens is probably the most accurate. You know, I always believe that the Lord has a plan for our family, but I feel like at the same time, Mike and I do a lot of just uh, tripping into things. We just sort of I don't really know how we ended up with eight kids, but it's kind of cool, right? <laughs> so um, that when I look back on bringing teenagers into our home, it was kind of the same way we do everything in life. Like, hey, honey, um, Crystal needs a home. What are you thinking? Yeah, I really like Crystal. And then she could stay in her same school district and go to her same church. Ah, let's give them a call and tell them we've got space for Crystal. Crystal is our second daughter. She was adopted at uh, two weeks before her 18th birthday. So yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say we put a whole lot of thought into it. We certainly didn't go into it thinking we would um, foster or adopt teenagers. You know, it's kind of that place when we entered into foster care, it was a place of wanting to keep our heart and our door open to whoever needed a place. And it turned out to be quite a few teenagers. How many teenagers do you think you've had come through your home for any real you know, length of time over the years? It's not that many. Um, let's see. Seven. Okay. And of those seven, how many did you end up adopting? Two. The two girls. Mm-hmm. Okay. And with either of the girls, were either of them um, officially foster care or were they more like a kinship fluid placement? Yeah. Um, Crystal was in the foster care system. Okay. Okay. She came um, at age 15 and then... Um, she actually asked to be adopted after her dad passed away. So both your daughters asked you to adopt them. Yes. And that's an interesting thing about fostering teens is that they have a voice. They have some understanding of what's happening in their world and life. And really, it's a remarkable and beautiful thing that both of them asked you to be their forever families. It is. It's, you know, really one of my favorite parts of that story, too, because I think, um, you know, kids really, any child in the foster care system is out of control of their own life. You know, even when they try to have a voice, there are a bunch of adults making decisions for them. And so for our girls to have come to us um, with that request and for us to be able to fulfill that request for them, um, that's a pretty special and important part of our story. I would also say that we actually are in contact with all but one of the children that we fostered and all of the teenagers who've uh, been in our home, whether through foster care or um, in more of a kinship placement. We're in contact with all of them, which is pretty exciting too. I don't know if we want to go down this road or not. Parenting doesn't end when kids turn 18 and attachment and bonding don't end. 
trauma doesn't end and that healing from that trauma doesn't end just because you technically become an adult. And I think that's important to say because while it's been very exciting and fun to have adopted our older girls, you know, for one of our daughters, that relationship is still really rocky. And it's um, a place where even though she asked us to adopt her, there's still a lot of trust to be built between us, you know, and that's well into adulthood at this point, you know, so I guess it's just important to say that even that incredible part of our story where the girls really wanted this forever family, it's not like a movie. It isn't like we walked into the court that day and, uh, you know, the girls were able to say, okay, that's it. You know, I've got a mom and dad and I trust them and everything's going to be fine. Um, I think it's going to be a lifetime of building the parts of those relationships that, um, that were really damaged in the beginning parts of their life. You know, uh, you mentioned that we keep parenting long beyond 18. I was thinking about that recently. I now have eight kids who are 18 or older. And, oh my gosh. you know, while I don't have authority or anything, we are definitely, hand, well, I was going to say hands-on parenting. A lot of them don't live close by, so maybe not. But we're very involved in most of their lives in terms of important decisions or even not so important decisions. You know, we try to stay connected and, you know, we have a couple that are a little more independent than the others, but yeah, parenting does continue because as we know, the brain is not even fully mature until the very late 20s for, for kids. Right. So they still need, I think, us and they need the, our life experience and our wisdom and encouragement a lot in these years. And for our kids with a lot of trauma, they need a lot more support even. You know, I mean, I think we both know plenty of people whose kids have been in the you know judicial system, I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but you know who've had legal legal problems, all kind mental health challenges, all kinds of things that kids cannot manage on their own, just because right. they're technically adults. You know, even as our kids, if if you're choosing to foster a teenager, you know, even during that time, it's a really delicate balance when you haven't raised a child from birth. Right now in our home, our daughter is 16, our first daughter that we adopted. We adopted her at birth. We have a really solid relationship with her. She's about to turn 17. She still runs everything by us. I'm not saying she does all the right things all the time with perfection. That's not what I mean. But she's still, hey, mom, what do you think about my course schedule next year? Hey, mom, I'm, I'm ready to get my driver's permit. Come on, let's go practice. Um, she still reaches out to us. And that's that solid attachment Mm -hmm. relationship that we have with her. When we were fostering teenagers, we have to remember that they've brought 13 years or 15 years worth of uh, family culture and dynamics and understanding and sometimes hurt with them. So our relationship ends up being a little bit different. Mm -hmm. So, um, delicate is the best. That's the word that's popping into my mind right now. It's that we've got this child. Jayla's my 16 year old. If Jayla needs some redirection, we've been Jayla's mom and dad since she was born. Um, It's pretty easy for us to say, Jayla, sit down right now. We need to have a talk about this or, hey, good job with that. Um, But there's this trusting solid foundation to our relationship that's been there from the beginning. Um, With another child her age, we're always having to remember everything below the surface, everything that's led up to this moment, um, every, every value, every moral, every, 
I think I already said culture, you know, but you bring with you your own family's culture. So if I were sitting down with one of my other children when they were 16, I'm pulling in tons of different family dynamics. Whereas, you know, with a child I've raised since birth, I'm talking about my family dynamics. She already understands where we're coming from. You know, that was one of the trickier parts, I think, of fostering teenagers was just knowing that you're not the only voice as a parent. And very often you are saying things to them that they've never heard. I need you to call me before you go somewhere after school. I need to know where you are. Something as simple as that. Now, the way that I was raised with a mom and dad who checked on me all the time and knew where I was and had a healthy relationship with me, that made perfect sense. Even as I I grew up and grew away from them, I still checked in. I let them know what was happening after school and what the schedule was and I was where I was supposed to be. When we have a child come into our home um, who has never had someone check up on them, something as simple as call me. Mm-hmm. Well, just call me first if you want to go to a friend's house. Just make sure I know where you are. Those things can feel not just confusing, but also abrasive, I think, yeah. to our kids. So we are suddenly asking for something that seems invasive to them. Maybe we're saying something like, hey, it's just really important that we clean our room up once a week. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. something very simple that it doesn't seem that big of a deal to a child who's grown up with, with a standard. Maybe we always clean our room on Saturday. Something very simple like, hey, once a week, we try to see your carpet. Mm -hmm. We want to get down to the bottom of your floor. Suddenly that feels like we're pushing too hard. And so I would say that was one of the, uh, the more difficult things that we encountered in raising teenagers. We sort of just thought that they would understand, of course, I want to know where you are because I want you to be safe. You know, and we had a lot of teenagers look at us like, I don't know why you're trying to control me. Right ah, that's not what I meant. I really just meant I'm worried about you and I want to know where you are. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. those were some of the things that we kind of were challenged with uh, in raising teenagers. Yeah. Our foster daughter came to us at 15 and um, we also, like there were all these things that were normal for my kids, like curfews, computer filters in our home, all these things. The idea, you know, just sort of the routines and things that we had that were not normal for her. The other thing that I found really interesting is that, of course, she had a very large extended family and a lot of family that loved her very much. And she had relationships with all of them. So they were involved, like from the beginning, there were a lot of, you know, there was mom, there was aunts, uncles, three sets of grandparents, um, cousins, all these people that she had connection to. So it wasn't like she came to us and we were her one and only family. I mean, she was in contact with them all the time. And at the point where she, her mom actually ended up moving to our town, which was great. We were doing a lot of back and forth visits and things. I really did feel that I was co-parenting at that Mm -hmm. point, which I found a little hard, but I also think was respectful and good. I mean, our goal was reunification, which actually ended up not completely happening. You know, I did feel a bit like I was co-parenting and that's very different, I think, from when you're fostering young children. You know, it's a, yeah. it's a different perspective. You know, like, 
did she want to go to church with us? Did she want to go with her grandparents? Did she, you know, like with little ones, you're just like, this is what we do. And this is where we go. And we all stick together. But it was, it just required more flexibility. And she was our first foster child. So, you know, I was just having to think a lot, (laughs) a lot, all the time. You know, that is the thing about parenting older kids. There's a lot of mental work that goes into it. Yes. It's so funny when somebody will stop and say something like, you know, oh, I'm so exhausted. Well, you remember what it was like when you had little kids. And I want to laugh and say, like, I do remember. It was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought I was tired then too. I feel like my brain is just going to turn into mush and slide right out of my head right now. We have three teenagers and three Mm preteens right now, Mm -hmm. quickly approaching the teenage years. Yeah. The mental exhaustion. And and I think you're right. When you add on top of it, uh, the ins and outs of foster care, that in and of itself, what am I allowed to do and where am I allowed to go? And Mm -hmm. uh, what boundaries do I have to maintain? And what do I have to let go of? You know, you're really managing quite a bit. Yes. I would say you brought up respect. And I think one of the things that having older children in our home really did for us was help us to understand the biological family in a different Mm. way for our younger children. When we saw the way that our older children reacted to mom and dad or extended family members, how they processed through, um, you know, for some of our kids, some pretty significant abuse, but we saw them process through that and then also still love their parents. We saw, you know, our kids display um, some of the mannerisms, just physical characteristics of their birth family. You know, it's it's not as black and white as I thought foster care was going to be. There's a bad guy and a good guy. Yeah, there's not. There's there's not. people. You know, and there's a lot of people. <laughs> and often just doing the best they can within yes. all the limitations of their own history and their own circumstances. You know. Right. You definitely have. And I think that actually really helped us when we did foster younger ones. Mm. When you could see an older child say, yeah, it was really bad sometimes at home, you know, or we didn't have any presents last Christmas, you know, something like that, that just grabs your heart. But then you still see their face light up when they see their mom or dad. You know, that for us, I think that really opened our minds to the level of respect that would be needed and necessary in engaging with biological family members across the board, no matter what the situation is, um, that our children are always going to identify with their biological family. If some of those things are bad, they're going to struggle with their identity in that. They're going to struggle to find their place. You know, if, if my dad's always in and out of prison, am I just going to be in and out of prison? You know, and that's with kids any age. Um, but definitely when we were fostering teenagers, it really opened our mind to see biological family members in more depth, mm-hmm. I think than uh, what we originally thought. We thought drugs, bad, foster parents, good, you know, um, and really the people who are, uh, who are caught up in addiction, who are caught up in poverty, um, who are caught up in generations of abusive behavior. They are real people trying to figure out just the ins and outs of being human also. Exactly. I would agree. Now, you and Mike had a lot of experience, although you were young, you had a lot of experience with youth because you'd been Uh, youth pastors, which does, you know, we think, oh, youth pastors, lots of fun games, but it also takes you into some deep, dark places too with kids and families. So you had walked through more than maybe a lot of young 20s have with youth. What would you say to 
some young 20-somethings or maybe even 30 who maybe have little ones or no kids and they're thinking, we want to we help teens. We want to foster teens, but they haven't experienced parenting teens so far. What would you say to them? Yeah, I would say two things. Get connected with um, someone who has already raised teenagers mm. or is raising teenagers. Why? Because you need that uh, you need that community. You need that camaraderie. You need that person to bounce something off of. Two, I would say, and, and this is along with this, um, get connected with people who have raised teens from trauma um, because it's not going to be, you know, that lady at church who has a perfect 15-year-old. She may not really be your help right now. Mm-hmm. Get yourself connected with some people who have really walked through this with this specific uh, dynamic of raising a child who's come from something really difficult and surround yourself with that. Because as you begin to bounce ideas off of that other person, that's where your better parenting comes in. Mm -hmm. You know, for us, it was things like as youth pastors, we were at first, you know, kind of rigid in the dress code, for instance. So our church said, you must not wear a two piece bathing suit at camp. We were like, oh, you must not wear a two-piece bathing suit at camp. Well, then you have a foster daughter who comes into your home. Two-piece bathing suit is the least of our concerns. No kidding. (laughs) So, but, you know, what does having that larger community do for you? If you have other people around you who have raised children who um, have come from some tough things, um, who have raised teenagers, period, you're going to get kind of a different perspective. And for us, all of a sudden, this rigid, you must not wear spaghetti straps. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, we're looking at a child that we love and we're realizing this is about my child's heart. This Mm -hmm. is about creating a safe place for my child to be. This is about her feeling like, if I'm just going along with the dress code example, this is about her feeling good about her body and who she is in this world. And she's dealing with enough without Mm -hmm. me telling her, oh, we have a strict, you know, shorts to your fingertips rule. Those are the two things I would say. Get connected with other parents of teenagers and get connected with people who have raised kids um, who've come from some difficult things. Yes, I think that is such a good point because, I, I mean, specifically the dress code thing and modesty Boy, I I did hang on to that for a while because I was parenting my own teen girls at the same time, and I did have standards. I used to tell the girls all the time, leggings are not pants. Okay, I gave Me up. Me too. I gave up on that. I gave up. You know what? I did too. The whole I high school, go. it's like, yeah, there were so many more important things for my foster daughter to be concerned with than whether or not leggings were pants. I mean... I may have an opinion about it, but honestly, you have to really have perspective on what's most important with these kids, for sure. That's right. Mm-hmm. I'm still with you, though. Leggings are not pants. I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, but they are for every other girl in my family. So yes, fine. Yes. Just let it go. <laughs> yeah, we have let it go, too. So this is maybe a slight tangent, but I, I think this is, um, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. A number of people I know parenting, either fostering or parenting children, teens they adopted, or maybe even teens that they birthed, have experienced well-meaning rescuers who want Mm. to come in and do a better job. Who, I mean, right now in the last three days, I've talked to two moms of mine who adopted kids. Another family has stepped in and invited this child to leave 
their family and move in with them because they think they know how to do it and they think they know better. Have you experienced that or do you have any thoughts about that? You know, and do I have any positive thoughts about that? I don't know. Uh, We have been right in the middle of that frustration as well, where somebody stepped in with one of our children and just knew how to do everything better than us, gave her things and provided for her in a different way. I know at one point, you know, my own personal heartbreak over that, she was not living in our house at the time. She got an apartment was living with a boyfriend. The boyfriend's family, I guess, was much better than us. At one point, she got hurt and wanted someone. She wanted mom. And she told her boyfriend, uh, I want mom. And the boyfriend got on the phone and called me. And later, my daughter said, oh, I wasn't asking him to call you. Mm. I was asking him to call his mom. She never called me mom. And then just like that, attached to this boyfriend's family and all that, you know, all that that entailed. Mm -hmm. And, um, that was really difficult to just be on the outside uh, of what was happening there. And I think really that it feels like your brain just got stepped on. I I don't know how else. I I felt like I was in a cloud because if I said something like that's my daughter, Mm -hmm. then I felt like I was being jealous or, you know, why you don't want other people to love your kids. But then if I say nothing, my child just believes that this other person, oh, see, I knew you weren't really my mom and dad. You just let me go with these other people. It's a really tricky situation to be in. Um, And we know that uh, because we are researching and studying and trying to build strong attachments with our kids all the time, we understand how damaging that is when somebody steps in and, and tries to take our role, but other people don't understand. And so we find ourselves in that tricky situation of wanting to say, back off my kid mm-hmm. while also knowing that the rest of the world says, who wouldn't want the neighbor to buy your kid a cookie? Who wouldn't mm-hmm. want somebody to help your child purchase their first car? Who wouldn't want? Oh, because it's damaging. Right. Um, so yeah, we've definitely been there before. Um, for us, it had to run its course and it ran its course in a really bad way for mm-hmm. our daughter. And in the end, you know, that family wasn't going to stick it out with her. And with that child, it's happened multiple times. So you mentioned earlier, you parent for life. You know, as our kids go through that, our older kids, our teens or young adults, as they go through those things, I think that building attachment becomes less hands-on than it is when we're raising younger Mm -hmm. um, foster children or adoptees and becomes more about um, reminding our child that we are the safe place to come back you know, right now we're currently with one of our children in the place of, of just that reminding. We're always here. We're always here. We're always here without expecting anything in return. And you know, that's, it's a painful place to be. We have been through this experience ourselves. I know Melissa has had an experience with a family who actually tried to help one of her kids become legally independent. I mean, like very, um, invasive things. And I do think many of these people are good hearted. I think probably a good number of them have sort of a savior complex, which is not the way to approach loving kids. And the outcomes can be really damaging to the 
the young person. Yeah. You know, yes. and not and, and to the whole family, you know, but to the young person themselves. Because right, if you have too many people who come and say, Well, I'll be your family, we'll be your family, I'll be your mom, your other mom's not so awesome. What happens throughout the rest of their lives? Really, you know, are like you're saying, I think you're right. We have to just determine to be the safe base and our children are free to come to us, you know, but it's, it's, it's painful. I found it um, for me to be not only sad, but I felt very ashamed <laughs> and I've gotten past that, but yeah, it was very difficult for me. Well, I think that it's, you know, that's the part that, that I find so difficult about parenting in general. I wish that I were so confident that I could just stand back and solidly be the mom that I know the Lord created me to be. But the truth is in the middle of this, I'm still human. <laughs> so when I have, um, I have a teenager in my home right now who um, is kind of going through that pushing away, coming back, pushing away, coming back, you know, and they're not ready to be on their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, this still a kid in high school, but as they struggle through that, I wish that I just felt like it's okay, honey. You know, mom and dad will always be there. You're growing up into, you know, a young adult. Mm -hmm. How good for you. Instead, I'm like, why do you keep trying to move out of my house? This is hurting my feelings. I just made you dinner. I just washed your clothes. Like, I I wish that I had this composed, you know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. Always have this thing I want to attain. And, And the real truth of it is, you know, when we're parenting kids who are pushing away in that way it doesn't makes us feel, you said ashamed. It, it makes me feel ashamed. It makes me feel sad. You know, if I knew how to do this better, if I had done something different leading up to this point, I think sometimes it catches us off guard. I don't know about, I know a lot of the people that I know who've gone through this situation, you feel like, I thought we were in a really good place. I thought we were having a loving mom and dad child relationship. And then all of a sudden my kid was gone. Yes. That for us, we felt blindsided Mm -hmm. when it happened with our child. And so, you know, those are really real emotions that we're dealing with as parents too. Yes, it is damaging for our kids and we want nothing more than our kids to be in a healthy place. But I think for me, it surprised me how much it hurt. Yes. Yes. How much it hurt my feelings. (laughs) So tell me about sort of the sweet parts of parenting teens, even when you're quite young, um, what, what's the best part? Okay. Well, you know, I'm going to say being a grandma Mm -hmm. in my thirties and forties, because that's been pretty amazing. Um, but secondly, I would have to add something in and I'm going to cycle back to being a grandparent. I would say being a young parent of teenagers, one of my favorite things about that was just getting to join in with them on things that I may or may not be able to do with my younger children when they become teenagers and young adults. Just things like I look a little bit like my second oldest daughter, and she used to love to have me come volunteer at the high school for a choir competition or whatever. Um, And she would just flippantly, oh, and this is my mom. And then she'd walk away and let everybody try to figure out how in the world she has a mom that looks so close in age. So that was, that was one of my favorite things for sure. in raising teenagers is just confusing everybody around us (laughs) and being able to kind of participate in some of those things and, and have the energy to do some of those things that 
oh, my poor teenagers now, I'm like, I don't know what you're going to do. Mom's too tired. <laughs> Can I send money in or do I really have to volunteer for that? So right. that was a lot of fun. But cycling back to grandparenting, you know, one of the, the greatest joys about fostering our teenagers um, and adopting our teenagers is that we are the grandparents to three amazing grandchildren. We also have a relationship with two of our former foster children, a close relationship. Um, and they both have children now as well. So um, we have our three grandkids, but we really have um, more like five. You know, just being able to watch our kids come into that role, again, just having the energy and the, the time and the space to do some different things with the kids. I know that grandparenting is going to be different when we get to my younger children, when they have children. I'm going to have more time because I won't have all these kids at home. But on the flip side, you know, having my grandkids come over and my youngest child is 10, it means that they have aunts and uncles who are, you know, still kind of doing all the fun things that they love to do. They are spoiled rotten um, with love and attention, not money, (laughs) because we don't have a lot of that. (laughs) But our grandkids are, you know, they come over and they have six aunts and uncles who are there to meet their needs immediately, show them every cool thing, play every cool game, um, every toy in the house. That has been just a really neat part of, of parenting. And I think added to that, you know, we talked a little bit about how, uh, you know, raising an older child, they're, they're struggling through their story mm. and who they are in that story. And, what does it mean about their identity that, um, that their parents didn't care for them in many cases, in my older daughter's case, just that, that her parents passed away and that loss and kind of, um, trying to find where her roots are. As we saw our, our children become parents themselves, it changed their relationship with us. It changed their relationship, you know, with each other, just to watch them raise a child and, and understand I love this child more than anything in the world. Our second oldest daughter called me mom the first time uh, the day that her daughter was born. And wow, what do you make of that? I cannot even think about it without, <laughs> I'm, I'm choking up just thinking back to that moment. She asked, hey mom, do you want to hold her? And I looked around for her other mom. I, I mean, I literally turned my body around like, oh, is, is your mom here? Me? You know, it was a pretty powerful thing to to have her all of a sudden make that connection with us in a different way when she felt that love for her own child. That is so beautiful and so um, symbolic, you know, of what she almost immediately realized when her baby was born. That's very profound. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Well, I always thought I'd be a really young grandma and it has not turned out that way at all. I don't know what my children are thinking, but um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm hoping it's not going to be very long because we had our oldest when we were 23. So I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to have a young, cool grandma. And you know, it's okay though, because when I really think about it, our lives have been very consumed with the needs of our kids we brought home through adoption as well as our other kids. And I feel like now we're in a really good place where we could enjoy grandchildren. So our oldest daughter's getting married this summer and we have a son who's married. So who knows, who knows what might happen? Yeah, I want you to tell us about your newest 
project? What's coming for you? Yeah, Mike and I just finished um, our newest book called Honestly Adoption, and that's coming out August 6th of this year. That was just a really different book for me to write. I tend to write more. um, My first book was called Born Broken. It's written as a memoir. I I like the storytelling style. Mm -hmm. Um, This one is 101 questions that people want to know about foster care and adoption. And so that was just a really broad topic for one, try to narrow it down to 101. Um, We went to our readers, we got all the questions straight from our readers. Um, But that was just a really interesting book to explore and try to find some good solid answers for people's questions about everything from what do you do about an older child that's bedwetting to um, how can I build healthy relationships with my kids' biological parents. That sounds fantastic. I'm so excited to see it and it's not going to be long and it'll be. No, it'll be here before we know it. Yes, it will. It will. Well, Kristen, is there anything else you want to share with my listeners before we wrap it up? I just, if I could leave you with one thing, it would be um, if you are choosing to foster, foster with an open mind and come before the Lord and ask the Lord, uh, what would you have me do? today? What would you have me do with this child? We joke in our family, every time we were about to adopt a baby, we got a teenager instead. (laughs) Um, And that is the truth. And so, um, you know, but we never, ever regretted that. The children who came through our home were just exactly who was meant to be there at that time. So if you're considering fostering, open your mind up and open your home up. That's beautiful. Well, thank you. It's, it's really been delightful to have this time with you. I wish we were sitting in the same room, but I'm very thankful for it. I do too. It's nice to talk to you, Lisa. What a great interview. I feel like I'm so alone in this sometimes having kids so close to age and us and ours aren't even as close in age as I imagine some of Kristen's are. I think there's 15 years between our oldest and me. So I guess technically that's possible, right? Um, But like you said, we're grandparents at the ripe old ages of 36 and 40. Something that I can totally relate to in their story is Patrick and I were active in high school youth ministry for years before adopting. And I think there was this part of us, this heart for teens. When we adopted from Ethiopia, we were open to any age. So we would have taken younger kids, but we knew that opening ourselves up to any age would probably result in us being placed with older kids. I mean, we honestly, obviously didn't know exactly what we were getting into, but we had a heart for teens and our kids who are already in the home had a heart for teens because when we did youth ministry together, even as young parents with young kids, our teens who we were mentoring were like other parts of the family. They were over a lot. They babysat our kids. They hung out with our kids. Our kids looked up to them. So our whole family, even at the young ages of, I don't know, like six and four or whatever, had buy-in to welcoming older kids into our home, which I think was helpful. And it didn't mean that we didn't have hard things along the way, but all along, and even now still, I have this huge heart for teens. In fact, I was telling Lisa the other day that my favorite coaching clients are parents of kids with teens. That's like my wheelhouse. I love it. 
You know, I was thinking just as you were talking that, um, you know, many of our listeners know that I was a foster youth for a period of time. And I was a teen when I went to my foster home, my first, my only foster home, really. And uh, my foster mom was a young single mom in her 30s, and she had two small children. So she did very much for me, what you and Kristen have done for these other teens. And, you know, Russ and I have now fostered a teen for a two and a half year period, but we were definitely on the older, mature side when we did that. So it's a little bit of a different experience. So really, you are a blessing to teens and the berries are as well. And so many of our listeners too. So I hope that this has been a great episode for everybody. Yeah. And I hope it helps us connect. Like I said, sometimes I feel alone. So if you are a parent with a close in age child, reach out on social media. You can find us in our Facebook group, The Adoption Connection, or on Instagram. Um, I think we all need to stick together. You can find Kristen on Instagram at Confessions of a Parent or on Facebook at Confessions of an Adoptive Parent. We'll have all those links in the show notes as well as a link to our private Facebook group. We would love to connect with you. The show notes are at theadoptionconnection.com slash 38. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram as The Adoption Connection. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a quick review over on iTunes. It will help us reach more moms who may be feeling alone. And remember, until next week, you're a good mom doing good work and we're here for you. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.